Awesome. Well, we're glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I'm going to jump into this pretty quickly. just want to give a couple brief things to remind us where we are, and then we'll, we'll tackle this morning's message. So this is part three of a series that we're in on the Holy Spirit. Um, the series is called Abide. We opened up the series talking about how Jesus intended for us to live a life that was connected with him. And when we are connected with him, he's the very source of life. And everything that we need flows naturally from him into our lives and then out of our lives towards other people. And in the same passage where Jesus calls us to abide in him in John chapter 15, he tells us through that same story that it's the Holy Spirit's role in our life that does that. He goes on to tell us that it's actually for our benefit that he went back up to heaven because now the presence of God, the Spirit of God, can be in our lives, helping us to stay connected with him all the time. And so the purpose of this series is hopefully to begin to understand more and more how we can live a life connected with Jesus and that we can recognize that the Holy Spirit is real and alive and present in our lives. And so the rest of the series is kind of broken down into three parts. Um, the part we're in right now, we're just discovering who the Holy Spirit is. It's kind of a get-to-know-you section. In a couple of more weeks, we're going to move into developing our relationship with him. How do I know and recognize him personally in my life? And then the third part of this series will be how does that begin to flow out of us towards other people? Um, but God is a God of relationship, and the Holy Spirit is about connecting us into a healthy relationship with God and then learning how to walk in healthy relationships with each other. That is his primary role. And so last week, we started getting to know him a little bit, and we looked at the fact that the Holy Spirit is a connector. He connects us into God's family. And so he connects us with our Father and with Jesus Christ, and he helps us realize we're connected with each other. And the way we discovered that is we, we looked at two examples. The Bible, um, one picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is like a dove. And the dove shows up when Jesus is baptized. And what God declares from heaven is, that's my son, and I'm crazy about him. I love him, and I like him. He's my beloved son. I'm pleased with him. And so what the Holy Spirit does when he connects us to the Father, he helps us realize our place. We were singing it this morning. You guys were sharing it. We belong to his family. And that sense of connection should help us understand our identity. It should help us to feel and recognize that we are affirmed and loved by God. And then the byproduct is we have peace. And when I realize I belong to him, I have peace. I can face kind of whatever comes because I'm going to be all right. And then the second thing that we looked at last week as it relates to the Holy Spirit, we not only see him as a dove, we see him as the wind. And the wind is mysterious, man. It's powerful. Um, we can see the effects of what the wind does, but we don't necessarily see it. And when, in fact, when we entrust our lives to being directed by the wind, I gave the example of like a sailboat. When, when we give ourselves to being directed by the wind, there's an element of risk to that. I'm giving up control. But there's, there's also this wonderful thing that comes with the risk. There's adventure and freedom and a new life to be enjoyed. And see, if I realize, if, if I allow the Holy Spirit to remind me of my place as a child of God, 
then I have the kind of assurance and peace that then makes it okay for me to risk and trust that God can direct my life because he's only going to have good, loving purposes for my life. All relationship that's worth anything involves risk. I am putting my heart out there for somebody else. And of all the people that I can entrust in relationship, God's the only one who's not going to let me down. And so I can have peace and assurance, and I can take the risk to watch what he's going to do in my life. Is that making sense? You can go back and listen to last week's if you've missed it, but that's a sense of where we've already been. And so this morning, we're now going to look at the Holy Spirit as our helper. Jesus talked a lot about him being our source of help. And we're going to unpack this um, in two parts this morning. The first part is looking at the Holy Spirit as fire, and the other part is looking at the Holy Spirit as oil. We see both of those pictures in the Scripture, as fire and as oil. And so he is our helper. So we're going to jump right into this. Um, We're going to begin in Luke chapter 3, verse 15. And what's happening is John the Baptist has shown up on the scene, and he he has his ministry going. In fact, we're looking just a a few verses before where we were last week, when Jesus gets baptized by John. A few verses prior to that, John is ministering, and he's, he's encouraging people to repent and to be baptized, but he's also pointing forward and saying, the Messiah is coming. The chosen one is coming. And so he's talking about him. So here's John. He's preaching. He's teaching. People's lives are being changed as they're coming to him and hearing him preach, and they're being baptized. And and there's just this buzz in the air. People feel like something is shifting. Something is happening. Um, They're aware of the fact that Old Testament scripture had prophesied that a Messiah would come. And in fact, there were even prophecies that kind of pointed to the time frame when he would show up. And so many in Israel were aware the time was kind of right for the Messiah to show up on the scene. And so we're going to pick this up, Luke chapter 3, verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. They're thinking maybe he's the guy. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. See how it directly connects the Holy Spirit and fire together. He continues, verse 17. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. Now, I find that interesting. You know, it it wraps up the whole passage by saying John was preaching good news to the people. But what was he preaching? Fire's going to show up and burn a bunch of things up. Does that sound like good news preaching to you? No, in fact, we've often labeled fire and brimstone preaching as in the category of the opposite of good news. Heavy-handed, judgmental. But I want you to see some key things here about who Jesus is and what he's coming to do. And so John says, listen, I'm here. I'm baptizing with water. It's this outward thing. It's a visual representation of a new life. But Jesus is going to show up, and with him is going to come the Holy Spirit, 
and the fire of God is going to show up in your life. And then he goes on this weird tangent and starts talking about a winnowing fork and all this stuff. And so I want to explain this to us a little bit because these aren't two different thoughts. Okay, John's not over here talking about baptism with fire and then changing topics. He's connecting this into one complete thought. So if you were with us last fall, just by way of a reference, you don't need to know this, but if you were with us last fall, we explored the book of Ruth together. And the backdrop of of the book of Ruth is that harvest season is taking place. The wheat and barley harvest is going on. And Ruth is going around and gathering the scraps of grain to survive, help her and Naomi survive. And the man that she ends up marrying in the story, kind of one of the heroes of the story, Boaz, he owns all of these fields. And he's in the process of having all of his men gather the wheat, gather the barley for the harvest. And a part of what's taking place is what's described here in this passage of Scripture. They're going to actually get the usable parts from the wheat. And so how this would work is you would... You would harvest everything, and then there was this process where the wheat would get sort of beaten, or even if you were doing smaller quantities, you might just use your hands to kind of rub it together. In larger quantities, you might, you might beat it with a winnowing fan or even have oxen stomp it out. And so what would happen is um, these kind of heads, these kernels of wheat, there was an outer shell that was like the husk that protected it, That's what the chaff is. Remember he said he's going to separate the wheat from the chaff? It was the outer husk or shell. The internal part is the seed. That's the usable part that you would then grind up and use for grain. And so they were separating the wheat from the chaff. And so once it had been kind of rubbed and crushed up, you'd have this pile. And in the pile would be the good stuff that you needed, the grain that was useful. But all mixed in was kind of that leftover outer husk, outer shell that you did not want to eat, and it had to be separated. Are y'all tracking with me so far? And so what they would do is they would have this huge pile, and it would be on the threshing floor. And more often than not, the threshing floor would be up on a hill because what would happen is you'd have the natural wind that would blow through. And the seed, the usable part, has a different weight to it than the outer shell or the chaff. It was lighter. And so they'd, they'd place it in something kind of like a blanket, and a couple of guys would maybe shake it like this and toss it up into the air. The wind would blow across, and the stuff that was a little heavier wouldn't go very far. It would just blow kind of right there and drop in a pile. But the chaff would blow a lot further because it was lighter, and it would make a second pile. And so you would separate the wheat from the chaff. Y'all, y'all have the picture now? And so... John says, this is what Jesus is coming to do. He's coming to separate the grain, that that internal part that has the life in it, the sustenance in it, the part that's going to produce something useful that you can feed on. In fact, it'll see you through the winter. He's coming to separate that from just the rough outer exterior shell that's kind of pointless. It served a purpose originally, but it needs to be shed So what remains can be harvested and useful. And so that remaining pile of chaff, it's not really worth anything. And so what happens with it? It gets burned up and destroyed. Now, 
if we don't think about what we're reading, we can misunderstand this passage. All too often when we think of Jesus separating the wheat from the chaff, we think about it in terms of he's separating the good people from the bad people. That is not the imagery. The chaff and the wheat are the same item. They're the same thing. He's separating out the unnecessary chaff that's got to go so that what remains can be beneficial. Jesus isn't sifting good people from bad people. He's actually sifting you and I. He's doing a refining process. He's sorting you out, so to speak. And so the good news is Jesus comes to separate out the garbage that's of no value and remove it and burn it up and and leave us with what is life-sustaining, life-giving, and beneficial. In fact, it's the thing that we can feast on. Does this make sense? Are are y'all catching this? See, I I think for far too long... um, We've associated, like, the fire of the Holy Spirit with things that, at best, are only a partial picture and, at worst, just totally misrepresent fire. You know, when, when, I've, when I've thought of fire or heard fire communicate as it relates to the Holy Spirit, you know, we think about it in terms of, like, lighting people up and getting people, like, buzzing and lit up and passionate. Now, I, I think that's a component of it. But the passage here is describing the fire of the Holy Spirit as burning off the junk that's got to go. And so when we sing like, Holy Spirit, bring your fire, and then we wonder, why don't things change? Like if the church is praying for revival, why don't they change? It's because he wants to change me. Now, there's a cool byproduct that will come when his fire shows up and burns off the junk. What remains is lit up. It's shining. It's beautiful. But the first step is to burn off what has to go. And see, we, we look at this like big picture. You know, whether, whether we involve the Holy Spirit in this or not, we do this in our lives. I mean, this is happening in a political turmoil in our country right now. We are looking for change. And, and I'll tell you what, there's a lot of people trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. And it's Those people over there are the chaff and we're the wheat. And that's happening on both sides of the aisle politically. But I think what we're aware of is there's a problem. I don't think there's much disagreement about that. I think most people look and go, man, there's a problem. There's some things that need to change. But we disagree about what needs to change. And we look to politicians to solve this. I I don't care what laws get passed or who's in the White House, or who's in Congress, or who's in the Supreme Court, if individual people's hearts and lives don't change, this country's not going to change. We can debate all day long about whatever. Pick the topic. People whose lives have been radically changed by Jesus will be set free from drug addictions. They will become healthy, loving parents who don't abuse and mistreat and neglect their children. Y'all hear me? People aren't going to be killing people because they've experienced the love of God in their life and they begin to see other people around them as valuable members 
of society as people who reflect the image of God and they're to be loved and honored. And if I've got a problem or disagreement, it's worth working out, not tearing them to the ground. All these things that we're desperate to see change, they're going to change a life at a time. That's why this is good news, because Jesus speaks of something real that can bring real change and new life. And so the people heard this and received it as good news. I don't have to be stuck anymore. I don't have to be trapped anymore. I can see the power of God come and bring real change. See, that's what fire does. It changes things. It changes the way something looks. It changes its chemistry. Like, fire is an agent of change. I mean, just take some water and stick it on the stove and apply some fire to it. Things are going to change. Any bacteria that's in there that needs to be killed, you get it hot enough, it kills it. I can watch the water itself change. It becomes steam. Fire changes things. And so the Holy Spirit's role is to bring fire. And listen, I believe he wants to bring revival big picture. I believe that. But I believe he wants to start with individual people, with you and with me, and say, will you let me burn off the junk? See, for far too long, we've chosen to identify ourselves with or hold on to the chaff in our life, and it's time for it to go. There's an old shell that needs to be shed and burned off. You know, it's actually good news that fire shows up to change things. I want to give you some visual pictures of this. I'm just going to rattle through these quickly here. One picture is found in John chapter 15 that we talked about a couple weeks ago where Jesus is saying he's the vine, we're the branches, and we need to abide in him. Well, he talks about part of that process. It's where you prune off the things that need to go. And so in John 15, 2, he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. He trims off the dead wood that needs to go. A couple verses later, it says, he takes those dead branches and throws them in the fire to be burned. Why? Not to burn the whole forest to the ground, so that the healthy tree can emerge stronger with new life, with fruit. It's for our benefit. Not only that, God refines us with fire the way he refines precious metal. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. The crucible is for silver. That's like a special kind of pot where you'd refine silver. The furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests the heart. See, like he trims off the dead branches so new life can emerge. He burns off the impurities so what's left is of value. Malachi 3.2 talks about the refiner's fire and adds another quality. Malachi 3.2 and 3. But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. That word fuller, it's, it's like the laundromat. It's the person that would be doing the laundry, the fuller's soap. It's the OxyClean guy. He makes your whites whiter. Y'all know the OxyClean guy? We don't watch many commercials anymore, do we? Like, now that we're cord cutting, man, that's great. Don't have to watch as many commercials. Anybody, do y'all know who the OxyClean guy is? Okay, There's a, there were a few confused-looking faces out there. That's what this soap would actually do that they're talking about, though. It was, it was known to make the whites whiter. It would make them brighter. So he's saying, listen, he cuts off and burns off dead branches. He refines us the way you refine precious metal to get the impurities out. He washes us clean like the fuller's soap. The Holy Spirit comes 
to refine us. And, and listen, church, it's time for us to begin to view that as good news. It's good news. He wants to burn away the garbage so I can experience freedom. Think about what's left over once you're done. That's what you feed off of. What you feed off of is what remains. Now listen, really practically in my life, I have to be willing to position myself in such a place where I will let God point out things in me that have to go. But see, he's the helper. He doesn't just say, that thing right there is a mess, good luck with it. He says, I'm the one that will come do the refining. I'll point it out, and if you'll let me, I'll come and burn that away. And it's for our benefit. But see, because we view it as something painful or difficult, we only see the negative side of that. Instead of recognizing, man, if I will give myself to him and allow him to burn off specific things he wants to change in me, man, what's left is something precious and of value. What's left is life-giving. What's left is clean and it's free. That's what he comes to do. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Jake, this is great, and I see big picture. Maybe there's a need for revival, and I recognize it starts with the individual. But I actually don't think we necessarily spend a lot of time looking that outwardly. But what I think might hit a little bit closer to home is we look right around us. And we recognize things that we want to be different. But we identify them as external. Here's this spouse that I have. And man, this stuff that we're going through is difficult. I sure wish they would get it. I sure wish they would see what needs to change. Or we look at the circumstances in our life. Man, if this job thing could just change, if our finances could, and we just look externally. Now, I don't mean to say that things external to you don't need to change. But the place to start is to invite the presence of God into your life to say, God, instead of me looking at my spouse or my circumstances and how they need to change, God, what if you're trying to change me in the midst of this? What if you're trying to, to refine and transform my heart? So the Holy Spirit is a helper. And his fire shows up with power. Fire's powerful. But it's the power to change something. It's the power to purify. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to come and do. And then listen, when you've been purified by the power of God and you've seen things begin to change and you're experiencing being set free, you're experiencing new life, guess what? You will be lit up and you will be passionate. But it won't be something that got manufactured out of just an experience with some people. It won't be because you had a moment where where you were really lit up by the worship or lit up by a prayer service, it will be real changes happening and you are shining forth. I don't know if y'all remember the story, but when Moses went and spent time with God up on the mountain, when he came down, he was lit up because he had been in the presence of God. So much so the other people around were like, bro, put a bag over your head, man. Like, we can't handle what's radiating off of you. When we invite his power and his presence in our life and he begins to burn off the junk, we will be lit up and we will be passionate and it will reflect. But let's not skip to that part 
and forget that the reason we get there is because we first allowed the fire of God to come and burn off what needs to go. Does this make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. Now, I want to show you something in this story, and then we're going to get to the Holy Spirit as oil and how that shows up. So, John the Baptist, right here in Luke chapter 3, talks about Jesus coming to baptize with the Holy Spirit with fire. A couple verses later, Jesus shows up, and I want you to see what takes place. This connects with last week and where we're going this morning. Jesus shows up, and he's water baptized, and remember last week, the dove comes down and identifies him as the beloved son, and so he recognizes his identity. The Holy Spirit comes and says, you're the son of God. God loves you. He's pleased with you. Great. Then, right from there, it says the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Remember we read that last week? Led him into the wilderness. That's the wind component. Man, it doesn't make sense to go into the wilderness. You know, everybody just saw this dove come down from heaven. Maybe you should start preaching right now. That seems like the logical thing to do. But the Holy Spirit says, no, trust me. Surrender to me. It's risky, but I actually want you to go out into the desert. And so the wind, the Holy Spirit shows up like the wind and leads him to the unknown out into the desert where it doesn't make sense on an adventure. What does Jesus go through in the desert? He goes through the fiery crucible of being refined. Now, because he was perfect and didn't have sin, God wasn't burning off bad stuff that was there, but he was being presented with the opportunity to sin over and over and over again by Satan. But the Spirit of God is with him and he's able to resist. He goes through the crucible of the desert. The fire of God shows up. And then we pick up the story after Jesus is here, knows his identity, is led by the Spirit, is willing to go through the difficulty of the desert and resist sin. Now he moves forward and watch how it describes how he moves forward. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. The component of the Holy Spirit that comes with power to produce something that flows out of us comes as the result of knowing my identity in Him, surrendering my life to Him, and letting Him begin to refine and change me. Then power shows up. Why? Because I've already experienced His power in me. I've experienced what it's like to be an assured child of God. I've experienced being willing to take a risk and trust God to lead me instead of me being the king now. I, I've learned the power of giving my life to God and watching him begin to change me and transform me. So I have something real to offer. And so he shows up with power. And so Jesus comes into Galilee and it says a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. There was something real and life-giving that he had to offer. And he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Can you guys say upon me? Okay, just remember that. Put like a little pen mark there. Upon me. Because he has anointed me. Can you all say anointed me? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The power of the Holy Spirit has now come upon Jesus in such a way that he can begin to have an impact in the world around him. He's coming to bring good news to those who are in need. Now, this picture of the Spirit of the Lord being upon him or having anointed him, we may not understand this visually from our vantage point, but from their culture, they understood what this meant. Anointing was something specific you did with oil. And so I'm going to give you a picture of this. You can see it throughout the Old Testament, but I give you a picture of this in the story of Samuel anointing future King David. Are we all familiar with King David in the Bible, right? This is David who slayed Goliath and becomes the king and all that. Well, this is before any of that. He's just kind of a kid. He's a teenager at this point in the story. He's unknown. Now, I want you to know some things about David before we read this. First of all, there's already another king on the throne, and David is not his son. Now, I realize we live in a country where we elect presidents and elect our officials, but the way I've always understood that a kingship worked is that you had to be in the line of the king, right? You had to be in that bloodline to ascend the throne. David is not Saul's son. There's a sitting king, but God says there's going to be a new king, and and I want you, Samuel, to go to this place I'm going to show you. And so you're going to go find a young man who's not of the royal line. And then if that wasn't enough, he sends him to Bethlehem. Now, I realize, especially because of all the songs we sing at Christmas that we're familiar with Bethlehem, we view it as this like well-known, established, historical place. Bethlehem was a nothing. Bethlehem was a middle-of-the-nowhere dot on the map. It's a tiny little podunk town. So David, who's not of the royal line, who's now from the middle of nowhere in the tiny town of Bethlehem that nobody had heard of prior to King David. He goes there. Not only that, David's insignificant in his own family. He's the youngest of eight brothers. He's so insignificant. Think about this. When Samuel shows up and says to Jesse, I want to meet your sons. I'm going to anoint one of them as king. He doesn't even invite his own son, David. He got all his other seven boys together and just forgot about David completely. He assumed there's no way Samuel's looking for him. He's forgotten and neglected by his own family. And so Samuel shows up and he sees the first elder brother and thinks, all right, I know I'm in Bethlehem. I know he's not from the royal line, but this guy kind of looks like a stud. He's got it together. He looks kingly. He's the elder brother here. You know, he's probably even... He's probably learned some combat fighting with these seven other brothers. You know, he, if he can run this house, you know, maybe he can be king. And so he's sizing him up. But God speaks to Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And the story goes on, and brother after brother comes before Samuel. Nope, that's not him. Nope, that's not him. Finally, they have to call for young David out with the sheep. And he comes in, and when Samuel sees him, that's the guy. And so in verse 13, just a few verses down, 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. He is symbolically anointing him to be the future king. Anointing has to do with appointing. All right? I feel very preachery right there. I don't usually like to do that. But anointing has to do with appointing. He is going to be the king one day. And so he anoints him with oil. Literally, he would have poured it or rubbed it on his head. And then notice what happens next. The spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And then Samuel rose and went to Ramah. When the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, he will show up with anybody. You don't have to be qualified. What you have to be is surrendered. What you have to be is surrendered. God looks at the heart, he says. The refiner's fire, that's about refining our heart. The scripture says about David, he was a man after God's own heart. David wasn't even a perfect guy. The bro ended up committing adultery and murder, but he submitted to the fire of God in his life, acknowledged his error and his sin, took, dealt with the consequences that came from that, and emerged on the other side still a son of God, still a child of the king. And God said, that's a man after my own heart. If you won't let God purify you with fire, he won't anoint you with oil. He looks at the heart. But if we will give our heart to him and let the spirit of God come on our lives with fire that changes and transforms us, man, the Holy Spirit longs to show up and anoint us and say, I'm calling you to something. Um, I'm, I'm in huge debt to my, my friend, mentor, Dave Buring. He's one of the pastors back at Grace Chapel. He's the men's pastor there. And talking on this topic of the Holy Spirit being like oil, he said this about anointing. Anointing is consecration for a divine task with divine power to execute it. The Holy Spirit wants to show up and anoint us for specific purposes, specific tasks. And with the call to walk that task out will be the power to do it. When David was identified as the future king, it wasn't like, well, good luck, boy. The Holy Spirit showed up with power from that day forward, giving him what he needed to be that king. God wants you and I to make an impact. And people who know their place as children of God, who surrendered their life to him, who are experiencing the change that he's producing in our life, we can begin to have real impact where he's calling us to. He'll call you to do it, and he'll give you the ability to do it. Now, to wrap this up, I just want you to see this. This, this isn't just something we see in the life of Jesus, and it's not just you know, an example that we see in the life of David. This was God's purpose for his church and his people. And so I hope you can see this all kind of come together in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, Jesus is preparing to ascend to heaven. And this is literally like the last words he's speaking to his disciples. And this is what he tells them to do. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom? Are you about to change everything? Are you coming to restore the kingdom? And he said for them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. He says, listen, you're worried about the kingdom of God coming big picture. And he's saying, don't worry about that. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you with power. You can experience the kingdom of God in your life when the presence of God shows up. And you let him take over. You let him be king. And then the byproduct of that is his power is going to flow through your life. And you can give away the love of God that changes things to other people around you. And so this is exactly what they did. They did what Jesus said. They gathered together in one group, Acts 2 now, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's identity. They're family. They're together in one place. And that's surrender. Jesus said, don't go till the Holy Spirit shows up. We know from the scripture, they'd been there for days. They'd been just hanging out together in this room for days, waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. They're together, they're surrendered, and then watch what happens, verse two. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. There's this Holy Spirit showing up like the wind. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested upon each one of them. That word upon there is the same exact word that Jesus used when he said the Holy Spirit is upon me and has anointed me. It's the same word. The Holy Spirit shows up to a group of people who've given their, themselves to Jesus. The wind shows up, the fire shows up, the anointing shows up. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now check this out. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. See, they were all gathered for this event, Pentecost. All these people had traveled from out of town. They were Jewish, but they were, they were from different areas. And they even spoke different languages because of the different areas they were from. And at this sound, the multitude came together. The multitude recognized something's happened to those people over there. And the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So all these people from all over the world had gathered at this time and this place and a bunch of Galilean fishermen walk out after there was this mighty rushing sound of wind and they're suddenly speaking different languages they didn't know. Now there's a, there's a whole other section of this series where we will talk about the gifts of the Spirit but step back from the minutia of the detail and see what's happening here unqualified people waited on the power of God to show up in their life and they were then able to share Jesus with people that they could not have shared with without the power of God. Are y'all catching that? God gave them the ability to do something they could not do on their own. But God said, I'm appointing you for this and I'm giving you the power to do it. And so this is what you need right here to reach those people right there. There are specific things that God will call each of us to, people that he will call us to impact, and it can feel impossible. I mean, listen, you might be the parent just going, I had no clue how to be a good parent. I didn't receive good parenting when I was growing up. It wasn't modeled for me. And now I'm here with my kids and... 
man, I just thought, you know, hey, I'll be able to figure this out. And, but this one's more like my spouse, and I surely haven't figured them out, so I definitely don't know how to deal with this kid. Or, or there's these obstacles they're facing that I didn't face when I was growing up. And I mean, listen, just as simple as wanting to parent our kids well, we can feel overwhelmed. But God has anointed and appointed you to impact your kids. And he will give you the ability to do the seemingly impossible, to share the life of Jesus with them, and to see them grow up loving and following Jesus. You might be in a marriage that feels like that. You might be around people that you work with every day where you're just like, man, I have no clue how to share the life of Jesus with these people. Great. You don't have what it takes. He does. He does. And he's calling you to, to recognize that he has appointed you and put you there, and you can have an impact right there. The Holy Spirit is our helper, and he gives us power to see change happen in our lives and then to have an impact in the lives of people around us, to share that same Jesus who changes us with other people. We can do this with him. He is our helper. So to kind of wrap things up, I just want to give you a couple things to consider and then I'm going to pray. Number one, I want you to consider, is there something in your life currently that God is changing or is wanting to change in your life? I don't mean something outside of you that you would like to be different. I mean in your personal life right now, is there something that God is, is working on? an area that you're aware of. Maybe it's starting to shift. Maybe you recognize it needs to change, but you felt powerless to see it change. You don't know what to do. Where do you need the power to change? Invite the Holy Spirit there and let him know you're giving him access to that area and you're going to let him be in charge of it. See, you don't have to be qualified to see him shows up, show up. He comes where he's invited, and he comes where there's need, and he comes with power to change things. It's good news. Secondly, I want you to consider, is there an area in your life where you either currently have an opportunity to make an impact, or maybe you don't feel qualified to have an impact? You feel like, man, there's some people around me, and maybe something should be happening here, but I just... I have no clue how to do it. I'm not sure how I'm going to impact the lives of my kids. I'm not sure how I'm going to share the love of Jesus with my coworkers. I don't know. I want you to think about what task are you possibly facing or what people have you possibly been called to. And I mean specific names, people that you've been called to and invite him to help you there. He actually enjoys showing up to help where we can't possibly do it without him where we need his help. That's where he thrives and operates. So think about that. Is there an area that he wants to change in my life? Or is there a spot where he'd like to have an impact through me? And I can only do it with his help. Invite him there. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are our helper. God, I know there's lots of ways you help us. You help us with our struggle, with our sin, with our shortcomings. God, you bring victory, you bring freedom, you burn off the junk. God, you purify and refine us. God, you also call us to things. You call us to jobs, to tasks. You call us to specific people. 
And God, at times that can feel overwhelming or maybe we even want to pretend we're not called to something. But the truth is you have called us to make an impact in this world. Holy Spirit, I pray that we would recognize that your purpose here is as our helper to bring change and transformation in our life. It's for our good and for our benefit. And you come to bring power into our life so we can have an impact, so we can see the love of God change other people around us. God, would you help us to see where maybe we've resisted inviting you in? God, help us maybe to see where you're calling us to have an impact, but we feel unqualified or intimidated. Holy Spirit, we invite you there to show up with power, to change our lives, to touch the lives of other people around us. God, we declare, we know we're not qualified, but we thank you that you qualify us. We know that we're in need, and we thank you that you show up where there's need with power. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.